You're listening to Once, episode 231, Souls of the Departed. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jacqueline. And we are thrilled to be talking about Once Upon a Time again. This is great for it to be back. Three months off. We're finally back. Yeah. And we hope that you've enjoyed the discussions we've had in the meantime, like that packed spoiler episode that I did not listen to, and the discussion about Gallivant, and also our roundtable with some of our fellow Once Upon a Time podcasters, and some of the other fun things that we've done. Now, Jacqueline, it's great that you're here. You're filling in for Jeremy while he's out, and we're still trying to figure out uh, Aaron's schedule to see if she's still able to join us. But I'm really glad that you're here for this episode because of your Greek mythology expertise. And I know you're going to be bringing a lot of that to this conversation. Yeah, I saw a lot this week that I got really excited about. So I'm happy to fill in for that. So before we jump in, let me tell you that our show notes for this episode and the links if you'd like to share this episode with your friends and share it on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, wherever, will be at oncepodcast.com slash 231. So let's jump in talking about the past. And we see flashbacks in this episode. And at first, like I said in the initial reactions, I felt like, no, please, not more of this Regina versus Snow White stuff agreed. They've drawn it out as long as they can at this point. But I'm glad that wasn't the only point of the flashbacks, that they weren't there solely to show us, here's another perspective of Snow White and Regina. Yeah, I think we got to see it more from Regina's perspective and her struggle this time as opposed to Snow White's perspective. But we also got to see the influence of other things and some pieces connect together. But one of the things there, when she stuck her thumb in that pie, I was expecting it to be a plum pie or someone in the chat room then had said maybe a crow pie even. Oh, I didn't even think about a plum pie. But yeah, that would make sense because you have that little nursery rhyme about pulling a, a plum out with your thumb. My only reaction was that nobody eats a pie like that. (laughs) <laughs> but it but it was such a Regina thing to do. Like, I felt like it was totally in Regina's character to eat a pie like that. Yeah. And this is also when we got to see that guy who is credited as being named Blacktooth in uh, the credits. And he's the guy that then reported to Korra in the underworld. And one of the things I don't usually mention production things, but once I saw this, I couldn't unsee it and it became very distracting to me and you might want to rewatch the episode to see this part again they must not have communicated to one of the kids who is uh, in the cast there in the village to not look at the cameras because (laughs) just about every time he was visible he was looking over directly at the cameras while everyone else is looking the opposite direction nice (laughs) way to go so one thing that i always like to look at in this show is the costumes because They are still so beautiful and wonderful after five years. And I just want to point out that Regina's necklace is totally on point, and I would be willing to take that off her hands. (laughs) Now, you're talking about the shiny, beautiful-looking one here, not the spider-looking one later, right? I would take both, to be honest, along with both of those gowns. 
because they were really beautiful. Eduardo Castro does an amazing job of not only just amazing costumes, but also capturing the emotions and the kind of amount of badness currently present in the characters. Yeah, you know, Regina was head to toe in black in this this first gown that we saw her in. And, you know, to us, that indicates that she's full on evil queen. We are probably pretty close to the casting of the curse, I would imagine. So it's not Regina who's conflicted in any way. This is someone who is absolutely going to cast that curse. Well, this, I think... Uh, If you're going to ask me about timeline, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, uh, we have a timeline over at oncepodcast.com slash timeline. And big thanks to Keb for managing that for us. And as it seems, this might actually fall before Regina even thought of using the curse. Because it was Rumpel that told Regina that you can't harm Snow in this land but you could hurt her in another land. And that's when Regina is convinced, oh yeah, that curse, I could use that curse for this. And uh, this would also be before Snow and Charming's wedding. And I think during the time when Snow and Charming were together, but kind of battling against Regina. Yeah, that makes sense. Because Henry Sr. does talk about the war. He calls it a war. So it must be before they took back the kingdom then. And this is also before Hattrick, because Hattrick is when yes. Regina goes to Wonderland and gets Henry Sr. back. Yeah. So if you want more information about how this fits in the timeline, go over to oncepodcast.com slash timeline. And huge thanks to Keb for putting that together. It has really become an amazing, beautiful monster over there. <laughs> and she keeps that thing really up to date and with a lot of detail. So she does an amazing job with that. She does. And if you've ever actually seen her Google spreadsheet, which I finally asked to see one time, it's even more of a beautiful monster than what we have at the timeline site. Yeah. It's massive. So speaking of beautiful monsters, how about little child beasts or sweaty little child beasts? (laughs) I think they're called dwarves. Yeah. That's probably a more dignified name for them. One thing that struck me here and this is evidence that i'm i definitely overthink things too often the theory of relativity comes into play in this episode because henry senior talks to cora through the mirror and he's talking to cora while she's in wonderland so either time in wonderland is parallel with the enchanted forest and that's what we've suspected before but then time in wonderland is not parallel with fictional london because of what we've seen in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Or Cora has a really good grasp on time and the theory of relativity just breaks down when they talk to each other back and forth through the mirror. Yes, I'm way overthinking this. <laughs> yeah, that's... I mean, I just picture those mirrors as like yield Skype. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know anything about like time vortexes or anything. I just imagine that they're making a phone call. Yeah. And that's actually the way it looked in how Cora responded to answering. It's kind of like she was just there and someone <laughs> called and she looks over and it's, oh, hi, Henry. Right. It was basically like FaceTime or something. Yeah. Her mirror rang and she just answered it right away. I thought it was strange that she can just pop through any mirror now. 
Was yeah. that the actual mirror that we saw way, way back in season two, We Are Both? Well, it's hard to say because that mirror was broken after Regina pushed Cora through the looking glass and into Wonderland. Then the mirror broke completely. That's shattered. what I thought. So maybe it's the same frame. I didn't compare the frames of the mirrors, but she did say to Henry later that he was messing with magic. He didn't know anything about. And so maybe in creating this Skype call with Cora, he didn't realize that he was actually opening a portal that someone that's as magical and powerful as Cora could actually walk through. Yeah, I think that makes a little more sense because I was just thrown about how she could appear in the Enchanted Forest because I thought that mirror had broken way back in season two. So it, yeah, it must be something like that where a portal was established because they were communicating. You know what? Here's what I'm actually going to do. I just checked and we're comparing screenshots now and these will be in the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 231. Screenshots between the second episode of season two, We Are Both. And this episode where we see uh, the mirror. So there's the mirror that Cora steps out of back into Enchanted Forest in this episode. And in the episode We Are Both, there's the mirror that Rumpelstiltskin gave Regina specifically saying it's the looking glass and just a push and it will send Cora to an annoying little world. And I got a screenshot from that episode too. And the mirror frame at least looks to be the same. So it was just the glass that broke right. back in We Are Both. So someone replaced the glass, and that's how Cora is probably able to come back to the Enchanted Forest. Yeah, very, very possibly. I'm kind of thinking like Minecraft rules here, where if you just build the frame of obsidian blocks and then you light a fire in the middle, then it refills the, the stuff that you actually walk through. All of the Minecraft fans are like, whoa, yeah, it's totally like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if you want to look at this closely too, look in the show notes, oncepodcast.com slash 231. So that does make more sense. So it's not just any mirror she can walk through, but it seems like it's this specific one. Well, I'm glad because that was something that I thought was a bit of a retcon and I wasn't too thrilled about it. But if it's the same mirror and all they really need to do is replace the glass... I could understand, even if it wasn't the same mirror, I could still understand it because the portal was opened from the Enchanted Forest side, not from Wonderland side. So Korra has no ability to open the portal from her side. She doesn't have the power over the magic mirrors like, well, apparently the magic mirror guy has the power over, or maybe it's just because it's in the room. The, this portal mirror originally came from Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah. And we have seen Sydney bounce between mirrors before. Yeah. So it makes sense that he can kind of control this one. Right. Because his hands were grabbing her there at the end. Oh. So there was an interesting line in the conversation between Regina and Henry Sr. when she comes back to the castle after Snow White has, I guess, thwarted her in the Enchanted Forest that I thought was pretty interesting. She tells Henry Sr., mother does not control me. And I thought this was a pretty ironic line because we've seen so much over the past five years that Cora has incredible influence over her daughter. You know, Cora says jump and Regina pretty much asks how high. Yeah. And 
you know, at the end of this episode, we have Regina really standing her ground and not letting Cora control her. So I thought that was a nice line to indicate that something is going to be changing in the present day. Yeah, I've got something to say about that a little bit later, too, because I'm a little conflicted about some of that and what it means like to not be controlled by Cora or to really be who she really is. But I'll get into that later when we're talking about the present day and what's happening in the underworld. Do you think that Regina really wanted to kill Snow? Some people have brought this up, not only in regards to this episode, but in past episodes where Regina has that you know, perfect moment where she could theoretically take out Snow White. She had her fireball already in the village. And she just says, you know, you're lucky it's my birthday. And I kind of always wonder if she doesn't love the chase so much as more than she loves actually ending Snow White. Well, later in the episode, we got to see her crush a heart that she thought was Snow White's. And she had a look of complete pleasure and satisfaction on her face until she realized it wasn't Snow's heart. So I think she did really want to kill Snow. That's true. And there was some dramatic build up there because she was taking a really long time to crush that heart. Like how fast did she crush Graham's back in season one, you know? Right. But obviously that was for a dramatic effect. But yeah, I just think that sometimes Regina is often conflicted about actually ending her feud with Snow White. I was a little concerned about when Cora disguised herself as Henry Sr. and met with Snow, because I was thinking, well, wait a minute, didn't we think that Snow had never actually met Cora before they went back to present day Enchanted Forest, and that she had only heard stories? But then I think it was all cleared up with Cora saying into the heart, forget all of this happened. You mean had never ever met her? Because, I mean, obviously they met in the Stable Boy episode. Yeah, that's true. But I don't think Snow White knew how bad of a person Cora was. Oh, okay. Maybe. Yeah, I can see that, I guess. But Snow tends to see the best in everyone, regardless of what they do. So if she didn't think Cora was a really evil person, I think it's probably just because Snow tends to see the very best in people. You know, she even saw the very best in Regina for a really long time, like refusing to let her be executed back in season two. Yeah, that is what Snow does is so much of hope and so much of let's give them another chance and then another chance and then another chance and then (laughs) another chance. Right. At the birthday party for the evil queen. Oh, the the facial expressions from Regina were just, were wonderful here, blowing out the cake and talking with the jester. Um, Did you have any kind of Gallivant flashbacks? Because whenever I see a jester now, I just think of our jester from Gallivant. Yeah. And I was like, oh, they killed him. Like, <laughs> You killed my brother. <laughs> like, oh, I wonder if that was our, gal- you know, our jester's close friend or something. It made me chuckle. I was a little conflicted at first about the thought of, wait a minute, where did Henry get the heart? Because Henry doesn't have the ability to take a heart. But then I remembered that Cora has been collecting hearts for a long time, and she has a collection of hearts here in Enchanted Forest. And Henry probably knew about that. So he probably just went, found a random heart, which happened to be one of the hearts of the Black Knights, and switched that heart out. And so he didn't have to have the magic to take a heart. 
Yeah, I kind of wondered that the first time I had watched this episode as well, because I thought, well, that's a huge revelation that's never been hinted at. But yeah, I've quickly figured out that if it wasn't from Cora's collection of hearts, then it was probably from Regina's own stash, because we know that she was taking hearts as well. Yeah. And Jiminy, what are you thinking? <laughs> oh my gosh, what was that? Most awkward <laughs> thing ever in Once Upon a Time. <laughs> Yeah, that was baffling. They could have done that differently, I think. But nice to know yeah. that that wasn't actually Snow's heart. Agreed. Agreed. And neat to see Jiminy, even though we didn't get to hear Jiminy. So that means they didn't actually have to have Raphael Sabarge do any voiceover work, which was the real bummer. But at least we got to see Jiminy. Yeah, it's been a while since we've seen him or heard him. Yeah. But I, at least he was there. You know, the dwarves were there. It's Snow and Charming. Jiminy should be there. Maybe we'll see more of Dr. Archie Hopper in season six, because I think everyone's going to need some help after coming back from the underworld. <laughs> you think going to the land of the dead and coming back with a formerly dead pirate means you need therapy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit. I'm not maybe sure if that's little? covered on their insurance policy. <laughs> But then after the party there and some of the conversations that happened afterward, I was really happy that we got to see how Henry ended up being small and ended up in Wonderland. Same. That has been five years in the making. Like, that's one of those questions that I had become absolutely convinced we were never going to get an answer to because it had been so long since Hat Trick. Yeah. And it was like every time they had an opportunity to answer that question, it went a different direction. Like last season's episode, Mother, I kind of expected that that episode would would end with Cora somehow taking Henry Sr. to Wonderland, and it didn't. But I am so thankful that they answered that question. I had forgotten about that episode. Hat trick? No, uh, Mother, that Cora oh, had yeah. been out of Wonderland that time, too. Right. And if I remember correctly, Regina asks her, how did you get here? And I think Cora says something about borrowing a rabbit. Yeah. So we don't have to go back and wonder about how the mirror again. <laughs> right. But she's not able to escape Wonderland on her own power. Right. And those hands, the the mirror hands grabbing her, I think that... And also seeing Hook all beat up like that, at first looking like a zombie, but I realize now he just looked beat up. But those two things, maybe some of the creepiest looking stuff we've seen in Once Upon a Time as well. Yeah, those hands were freaky. I was, you know, avoiding mirrors the next day. Like, that's just weird. <laughs> I did, however, think it was kind of strange that Cora says something like Regina doesn't have the power to push her back to Wonderland. Because, you know, she did it before she ever started learning magic. That was the very first time she had ever done any kind of magic back in the episode We Are Both. Yeah. So, you know, she's obviously way more powerful now because she's the evil queen. Well, I think that Cora might be more prepared against that kind of thing, too. Oh, that's a good point. So she I'll just knows, that. don't let my daughter push me. <laughs> I almost wish for a split second that Rumpel would have appeared in that mirror to give the little push signal <laughs> that he gave back in um, We Are Both, because that's just such a hilarious moment in the middle of all that drama. Yeah. And speaking of the push signal, 
I want to thank some people who give us the push to keep the podcast going, and they reach through their portal mirrors and give us a big hug, not pulling us into a trap, but wrapping their arms around us and giving us a wonderful warm hug in the support of this podcast. <laughs> so I want to thank... Yeah, I have fun with my transitions. I want to thank for this episode, some special people who made this episode of the podcast possible, namely Lisa Slack, David Newland, and our 27 heroes on Patreon. We have a new hero, in fact, named Jennifer. So thank you, Jennifer, for joining our band of heroes over there. I'll name all of our heroes in one of the upcoming episodes that we'll be doing later this month. But thank you very much for your support of the podcast. It helps keep the podcast going. And during the off-season months, it pays for the bills that still do uh, pile up for the podcast and helps us to keep the podcast online. So if you'd like to be a hero for the podcast, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. If you can't support the podcast financially by making a donation, then you could consider shopping through our Amazon affiliate link. So anything that you buy after clicking on our link will give us a small commission back. And that's another way that you can support the podcast and it doesn't cost you anything extra to do that. So that's at oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. If I could, I would reach through the speakers or earbuds that you're currently listening to us through and give you a hug, too. Oh, my gosh. That was the most tortured metaphor. (laughs) Speaking of tortured metaphors, let's move on to the underworld. But before we go into that, there's the quick stop outside of a place called The Revelation, which was very interesting. Okay, so yeah, we're going to have to talk about the scene that, you know, completely breaks my soul and my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this it, scene. It's, it's really neat to see that this is almost the same way that Emma and Neil met in the first place. It's totally Tallahassee. Yes. I'm not okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, I have such a love slash hate relationship with this scene. We had been spoiled that Michael Raymond James was coming back for this episode, although it was done in the most roundabout way possible. <laughs> and if you listen to Hunter and I talking about it in our mega spoilers podcast, um, I laid out all the evidence for why he was coming back, but it hadn't been confirmed yet. <laughs> um, it was it was really strange. So but, you didn't even know that Neil would not be in the underworld. Right. We, over at the forums and such, we had kind of speculated that he probably wouldn't be because we knew that actor availability is most likely going to hinder them from actually placing Neil in the underworld. And a bunch of us had theorized that they would say, Neil has no unfinished business, so therefore he's going to be in some other place. And that's actually what they ended up writing into the show. But A lot of people even just said he won't be in the 100th at all. They're just going to mention him in passing, but we won't see him. Well, it was really nice to see him in this. (laughs) 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 But what do you think about that unfinished business statement? Malarkey. Malarkey is the best way I can describe it. Hmm. I think it's just kind of a writer's excuse. You know, we can't actually bring Neil back to the show for whatever reason you want to come up with. So therefore, we're going to just say that he has moved on because he has no unfinished business. But he starts off that entire conversation 
wanting to know how his son is and talking about Henry and, you know, missing his child. And I'm like, you obviously have unfinished business, if only with Henry. And that's to say nothing of the fact that his relationship with Rumpel wasn't even remotely resolved. So, no, I'm I totally call shenanigans on that. In one way, I agree. But in another way, I disagree. Because I do feel like looking back at the episodes leading up to before Neil died, it seems like things were resolved. Like even his relationship with Emma, where they'd gotten over wanting to be in love, but being acknowledging that they do love each other in some way, but we're moved on and are good with being very close friends. And in some ways, even the relationship with his father seems like that was resolved. I think there's a difference between resolved and coming to a place where you are ready to start resolving. You know, when we saw him get off the boat from Neverland and, you know, they had the what's commonly known in the fandom as the floof family hug. You know, it, it was a they had come to a place where Neil was ready to start accepting his father, to start healing everything that had happened between them. But, you know, they still had so far to go. And if Neil has been watching over them this entire time, which kind of it made it sound like that's what he's been doing, you know, then the fact that his father tried to hat suck Neil's, you know, in his mind, his true love, and then took back the Dark One's power. Like, I can't imagine that Neil doesn't want to have a very serious conversation with his father at this point. But how much of that does Neil see? Because, yeah, Neil knows that Emma is going to the underworld to save Hook, but yet Neil asked about Henry. Right. It's it's kind of this... It, um, it doesn't really add up. They don't, in my mind, explain it all that well. How much he's seen, how much he hasn't seen. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, no, even even if you want to say that um, his relationship with Emma was resolved, his relationship with his father was resolved, there's still Henry. And this episode ends with a father getting to move on after he's talked to his child one more time. Well, not about, I don't think he got to move on because he talked to his child one more time, but because there was something holding him back, a regret that he hadn't dealt with. For Neil, he had a great relationship with Henry. There weren't regrets other than the basic regret of I wasn't there, but he was making up for that. So I really think if if nothing else, Neil's relationship with Henry leaves nothing unresolved because everything was good. That yeah, they miss each other, but- you can't say that, well, because I missed them or they miss me that I'm gone. That's what's the unresolved thing. That's kind of circular reason in some way. And I'm not saying that's what you're implying. Sure. But, you know, Henry even wanted to go find his dad. We had that scene later in the episode in Granny's where Henry, it isn't, it isn't even about bringing Neil back with them. It's about I just want him to know that I'm okay. Right. So there is still – something unresolved because Neil doesn't know how Henry is and Henry wants Neil to know how he is. So I think there is still unfinished business between them, at least a chance to say goodbye because that was denied to Neil. But what this does definitely do for us is tells us why Neil can't also be saved. 
even though Emma said that she would have saved him if she knew she had this ability. Yeah, <laughs> I have a problem with that line because she flat out told Rumple at the end of season three, he died a hero, don't take that away from him. So she actually did have the ability through Rumple and through this whole time travel thing they did to save Neil. But her, her point was you can't save him because he's a hero. But now her reasoning for saving Hook is, well, he's a hero. He deserves to be saved. <laughs> yeah. To quote Rumple from this episode. Your questions are pointless. <laughs> okay. From now on, instead of yelling plot at people when they ask me questions, I'm going to tell them that. I'm just going to say your questions are pointless. <laughs> but it seems Emma's plan that she has sort of laid out here to Neil is that she's going to split her heart, which Emma's heart has never been removed from her. So I don't know how that's going to work and share her split heart with hook. And that's how they'll escape. But I think Neil gives us a prediction of the direction this season is going to go. I know you're trying to save hook, but trust me on this. This won't end the way you think it will. Yeah, I would say that's a pretty big neon flashing sign that there is going to be something that happens that basically changes Emma's entire plan. Yeah, and something that we won't expect, something that I'm sure a lot of us are going to hate as well. <laughs> yeah, possibly. I, I'm, for one, am a little relieved that it's not a heart split situation if you had listened to our podcast at the end of the winter finale, you know, I and Slurpees had brought up that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that a physical heart can be split into two to put into a soul of someone who's in the underworld when the body is still back in Storybrooke. Like there were a lot of plot mechanics that were just totally off with that. So I'm glad that it seems like that's not going to happen from a plot mechanic standpoint. Right. So you brought up the sign that was in the background uh, of the, the roller coaster. The revelation. Revelation. I, I laughed pretty hard when I saw that. I won't lie. Um, yeah, Revelation, uh, looking at biblically, Revelation is the last book of the Bible. And one of the interesting things that ties in with Revelation and this underworld idea is in Revelation, we see several contrasts between uh, heaven and hell. And even like there's hell and then hell is thrown into the lake of fire near the end of Revelation. So there's even further contrast and then heaven is described in such beautiful detail. It makes me wonder how much they're going to continue that sort of contrast. But at the same time, they are trying to be extremely religiously neutral and they're not even using the words heaven and hell. Right. Um, when Henry Sr., you know, uh, sees the place that he's eventually going to cross over to, we didn't get any kind of name. There are no angels with harps on clouds. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they are being extremely neutral. But I, I did enjoy the revelation sign. Mm -hmm. For me, I think a big part of this season, at least fingers crossed is what I'm hoping for, is that this is sort of Emma's, quote unquote, second coming as the savior. Hmm. That, you know, her first task as the Savior was to break the curse. But her ultimate 
savior moment is to bring back the happy endings. And I think that's actually going to tie into what's going on in the underworld quite a bit. And I think that's her big second coming savior moment. Yeah, but at the same time, it seems that Regina is the one who wants to be the bringer of happy endings to the people in the underworld. Yeah, and I'm kind of wondering if she's the savior for only Henry Sr., just because, you know, that was such a, a personal thing between Regina and Henry Sr. And it kind of reminds me a bit maybe of Emma and Graham, you know, before she broke the entire curse by kissing her true love, Henry. She did break Graham's curse because it was this very personal connection between the two of them. Yeah. So I don't know. I A lot of people are questioning whether or not Regina is going to be the ultimate savior this week. And does Graham have unfinished business? When they arrived there in Underworld, we've got all of these different terms now for different worlds. Underland, Underworld, Wonderland. <laughs> it's starting to get hard to keep track of all of these. But here in the Underworld, everyone is there because they have unfinished business. This is kind of like the purgatory sort of thing. And it's if there's some way for them to resolve their unfinished business, then they get to move on. And it seems like they get to move on to either a better place or a worse place. And I think we're going to get to see from who's here and who's not here, then who has unfinished business or who doesn't. Like, for example, Blacktooth was spray painting closed on top of the window for uh, any given Sunday. That tells me Ingrid is not here at all. And after all, it seemed with the way Ingrid died, it seems like she has no unfinished business anyway. So it would make sense that she's not here in the underworld. I definitely agree with that. And I took away the same message when we saw him spray painting the window. You know, her happy ending was being reunited with her sisters. And that's essentially what happened at the end of Shattered Sight back in season four. So I'm not surprised that we're not seeing Ingrid. But it does bring up the question of what is everybody's unfinished business and how do you get them to resolve all their unfinished business, especially because the people in the underworld, it's not just the villains that we've had over the past couple seasons. There are just a lot of random people wandering around, you know, sitting at Granny's drinking coffee. Right. So what's their unfinished business? How do you help them get to the next stage of existence? you know, without knowing their stories or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The thought of saving them all really does present that complication of, is this even possible? It sounds nice to say. Right. Which is why I think it might come back to, I'm hoping Emma as this big savior moment where she's able to give them their happy endings by having them move on just because she is the savior. That's her ultimate goal in the cosmos is to restore the happy endings. Hmm. Now, I want to know what's with all the smoking cones. Your questions are pointless. They're <laughs> all over the place. What's with them? Your questions are pointless. There's even one extremely prominently in the library. Why is it in the library? They look like little rockets shooting up out of the ground and they have smoke coming out of them. They're clearly not being hidden by the crew, uh, even though they're they're in the background, like at the cemetery on the street. And there's that one super prominent in the library that makes it obvious they're not trying to cover these things up. So what is with these? Your questions are pointless. 
That is the perfect sound bite. We're going to use that for everything from now on. <laughs> but actually, I do wonder what is with these things. Is it just ventilation from the pit of hell coming up? <laughs> Maybe. Um, the entire town seems to have undergone a really radical destruction. Like, it obviously looks exactly like Storybrooke, except Storybrooke that has been destroyed. Right. Kind of post-apocalyptic. Right. So I'm wondering if it's there because it, the, the town has been through something, or the underworld has been through something. Hmm. And this actually kind of brings up the dark curse. Yeah. Because Regina, when she was with Robin, mentioned that it looked like the town after she had created the curse or had cast the curse, I guess. And, you know, Robin says it's like someone took inspiration for this, for how the dark curse, um, when it's cast, how it turns out. And so which came first? That's kind of my question. And I'm wondering if Hades created the dark curse and the actual dark curse is supposed to render Storybrooke like you see it in the underworld. But because there was a savior put in place as the stopgap for the dark curse, everything turned out like how we saw it back in season one, where it looked like a typical small town in Maine. I like that because, yeah, Rumpelstiltskin does say in uh, season one, at near the end of season one, he does refer to adding a drop of the true love potion to the curse. And right. maybe that's all that he did is he added that savior element. Right, exactly. And so when Regina goes and she casts the curse, it fundamentally changes it so that you get a town that isn't totally wrecked and destroyed because you have that element of true love and hope and the savior embedded in the curse, which is missing from the underworld. I like that idea. Mm -hmm. And it would make sense if Hades was the one who created the dark curse, because where did they get the curse? It was from uh, that under the mountain. The Chernabog was guarding it and Rumpel needed the three queens of darkness in order to get the dark curse. And that seems like the kind of place that Hades would hang out or store something. <laughs> Right. And if you've ever seen Fantasia and you've seen The Night on Bald Mountain, which is the final sequence when you see the Chernabog, you know, the dead are coming back to life and kind of having this big party. Yeah. Um, it's very dark and there are definite overtones of the devil embedded in those images, which, you know, they're obviously playing with with Hades. Yeah. So I like this idea of getting to learn who actually created the dark curse and maybe why. Yes. Why? Like, why would he create something that makes the underworld look like this little town? Now, here's an idea. What if it wasn't actually intended to create anything, but it was intended to be a means of taking an entire realm of people into his realm, into the underworld and becoming his subjects? Because he clearly hates it when people leave the underworld. Yeah, he's clearly holding these people hostage, preventing them from moving on. So, so maybe yeah, he created the curse to bring hordes and hordes of people to him. That's interesting. And then so, because Regina enacted it and Rumpel changed it a little bit, instead of 
bringing everyone to them, it kind of cloned the underworld with flowers and not so much of a red filter. (laughs) Not so much of a red filter. You got to wonder then what the underworld was really like before Hades maybe corrupted it. Yeah. If even such a thing existed. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on how they're going with their mythology here. Yes. I'm hoping we get some answers on mythology over the course of the season. I enjoyed seeing the blind witch in the diner again. (laughs) (laughs) I did, but... You know, Hunter and I were talking about this earlier today. We were really disappointed that she didn't say butter or gravy. Yeah. Yeah. Jenny and I were saying that, too. I mean, gingerbread or children is funny, but it's not the iconic butter or gravy that everyone expected she would say when we knew she was coming back. No, maybe she'll still say that at some point. Hopefully. And James is there as the sheriff. Is this just like all villains go to the underworld because all villains apparently have unfinished business? Is there any villain we're not going to see down here? No. (laughs) With the exception of Ingrid, I guess. And even then her status as villain was kind of weak, I guess. Yeah. And at the end, I felt like she got a resolution as she realized the error of her ways and then made everything right with her death. Right. Yeah. No, all the villains, anyone who was kind of evil or corrupt or, you know, just not a good person is in this place. Which I'm enjoying getting to see all of these villains again. I had no idea we would see the Blind Witch again. I had seen a couple spoilers here and there, but uh, I didn't know we would see Peter Pan again. That excited me. I had no idea we would see Korra again. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, She was the first one announced because they started announcing who was coming back for the 100th pretty early on in uh, season 5A. Yeah. But yeah. One of the funny things there in Granny's Diner is they have bowls of instead of nice little snack chips or crackers, they have red hot peppers inside of the bowls as the snacks do they really yeah i totally missed that that's awesome (laughs) it's perfect that's a nice little production detail that's cute i like that um but speaking of kind of weird moments it was weird to see james making out with snow yeah (laughs) that was that was strange and are we assuming now that james is the sheriff like was he being literal i i made a very similar note Because to say there's a new sheriff in town is certainly a metaphorical statement. But then again, David is the sheriff in Storybrooke. So it makes sense to say there's a new sheriff in town. But the bigger thing I wonder is, does this mean James has been able to see everything going on? Yeah, because he didn't know who Snow White was when he died. Right. He may not have even known he had a brother when he died. Oh, yeah. Good point. The people in the underworld must be aware to some extent of what's going on in the world above. Yes, I'm thinking so. Yeah. And all the dark ones go to the underworld or before this. Uh, So that means that before they all came back to our world and then were sucked up in the sword, then the underworld was uh, filled with dark ones before. Where did they go this time so they were sucked back up into the sword and then it disintegrated well the the power was channeled into the new 
Dark One dagger. Oh, right, right. So maybe instead of all of those Dark Ones being sent back to the underworld, maybe they are now kind of part of the dagger. Maybe no longer even living souls, but they're just, they've been assimilated into the power of the dagger. Yes, I would say that makes sense. Now, Cora seems to be the mayor of this. Yes, and she's in Regina's mayor office. And even the interior, like the set design, is very similar to what Regina has in the real Storybrooke. Yeah. She even got a bowl full of apples. Yeah, black apples, it looked like. So do you think Cora has learned a lesson? Um, You're saying... By the end of this episode, has she learned a lesson? Well, maybe just overall, because she tells Regina that our friends and family hold us back. Yeah. And that does seem somewhat in line with her very famous saying that love is weakness. But, you know, at the end of her arc back in season two, she got her heart back. She realized that Regina would be enough. So for her to still kind of have this mentality of love is a weakness, it kind of makes me question whether or not she's truly learned anything. And I kept asking that question, actually, of all the villains that we saw. And Cora said that Regina is Cora's unfinished business. Right. And I want to know how Cora gets resolution for her unfinished business if she hasn't quite got the concept that really Regina really would have been enough and that love is a strength. With them taking Blacktooth to that, do we have a name for that room? Well, I'm calling it Mount Doom. Okay. (laughs) Because it looks exactly like the inside of Mount Doom from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah. (laughs) You shall not pass. (laughs) But what is it about Korra bringing people there? Is she somehow able to help people pass on? Or did she help Blacktooth complete his unfinished business? Is that why? And she just put them, him there so that he would then be taken to a worse place? Um, maybe you get consumed by the fire and go to the worst place if you don't complete your unfinished business. And- well, people are in the underworld because they have unfinished business. So it seems like they wouldn't be allowed to yeah. move on if they still have unfinished business. Right. So I'm wondering, does Cora, like you said, does Cora do this on a regular basis? Like, she seems to be Hades' lieutenant. Right. So does he tell her, yeah, or was. So does he tell her, you know, this person has angered me, go send them into the fires of Mount Doom? That could be. Now, Hades got really upset when Henry left and the clock ticked. Did the clock tick and did Hades get upset When Blacktooth left, he left through a different door, but he did leave. Right. I get the feeling that the clock didn't tick when Blacktooth left. So maybe it's only that the clock ticks if you move on to the better place. And I wonder if Hades has control of the worst place. Hmm. I mean, and and in, in a way that would be keeping with certain aspects of Greek mythology that, you know, there's certain levels or realms within the realm of Hades and you know Hades really does oversee some of the worst ones and assigns punishments that fit the crime if that's what's called for 
So maybe he has no control over the land of shiny, fluffy clouds, but he does have control over whatever is the worst place. So he's fine with them going to the worst place because he can still have those souls in his control. Right. Yeah, I could see that. Cora referred to the cost of Regina's staying as being Henry Sr.'s suffering, but he didn't suffer. So did Cora really know that Henry could pass on to a better place? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure Cora quite knows how it all works. I get the feeling that she's been given this position of power, but she's still very much obviously at the mercy of Hades and pretty much just does whatever he says. Yeah. And this seems to be the only way to leave the underworld other than the boat, which only comes every now and then. And the reason why the boat only comes every now and then is it had something to do with the moon and basically the planets had to align. That's not what they said, but they did refer to the fact that it was only during certain times that uh, the boat to the underworld could be used and they're running out of time. And if they run out of time, then they, it seems they'd have to stay here for a while until they get that time and opportunity again, unless they have some way of leaving through Mount Doom. Or through the land of shiny, fluffy clouds. I mean, if you go to that place, can you come back to quote-unquote Earth? I get the impression that you can't. That here, it's kind of like, let's call it a, a, a purgatory or something. That it's a, a temporary place. And then in Mount Doom, it's exits to only one of two places. Exit to either a heaven or a hell. The way that Henry Sr. left when he went to a better place is uh, in a way that communicates he's going for good. There's no way back, and he's happy to move on. It's a beautiful place. It's a place, as Neil said, that it's somewhere where he's happy. So how did Neil come back? I mean, I know it was all inside Emma's head, but you know, to quote Harry Potter, just because it's happening inside your head, that doesn't mean it's not real. Um, from the the very famous King Cross moment in the very last book that I think they were obviously playing with in that scene. Because, I mean, he clearly left the better place to go to some middle ground to talk to Emma. And then he gets out of the car and we don't see him go back to the better place. He just gets out of the car and Emma wakes up. Right. Maybe it's kind of like with all of the graves... Maybe there's some way that because Emma was in the underworld that Neil could communicate with her. Maybe. I'm hoping that gets fleshed out in the next few episodes because I think they've set up a pretty interesting world and idea. I just don't want them to leave it at this and not explain because it's not quite as solid as I would like it to be. I really don't think they're going to explain it. You want to know why? Your question's a <laughs> Okay. <laughs> That'll just be the the new button from now on. That's going permanently on the soundboard right there. It has its own mm-hmm. spot. Good. So Gold gets to visit his shop. Yeah. And I noticed, well, for one thing, everyone probably noticed this. There are a lot fewer items here in the shop. And it seems all of the items that are here in the shop... Uh, or, or some of them are 
things that have been destroyed, like the chipped cup. <laughs> uh, now, the other things, instead of the regular shelves and shopping areas of Gold's shop, there were these pedestals. And I looked at what was on each of the pedestals. There was the chipped teacup, the Peter Pan doll, the marionette dolls. Uh, the spinning spindle was next to the pedestals. There was a clock and there was Hook's hand on one of the pedestals. Yes. I also saw the puppet parents. Did you mention those? Yeah, the marionette dolls. Okay, yeah. But those things aren't dead, question mark? I mean, Chip, yes. The doll, yes. But the marionettes are just cursed. I mean, there's no reason why Rumple Curtain uncursed them. Yeah. And he gave Hook his hand back before Hook decided he didn't want it. Right. So I, I guess I'm wondering how those things, their spirits, their essences, whatever, ended up in the underworld. <laughs> it could be that when Rumpel went to the underworld, that he took, accidentally kind of took some of these things with him. So apparently, yes, you can take some of your belongings with you when you die, <laughs> according to this, at least. So maybe some of those things unintentionally came Maybe, because, I mean, when they first entered the underworld, did you see the yellow bug? Well, wait, in the underworld? Yeah, it was sitting by a building and it was all charred. Oh, oh yeah. And yeah, we had had um, spoiler photos of that for a couple months before this episode premiered, because for a really long time, we couldn't decide if they went to the underworld or if Storybrooke actually became the underworld, Mm. our Storybrooke. I could see some things simply being mirrored, including the marionettes, the spindle, the clock, some of that other stuff. Yeah. But it's Peter Pan's shop. He actually says that, that this is my shop. Yeah. And I I have to wonder if Hades is doling out these these punishments because it has such a, a resonance with the specific characters. Cora gets to be mayor because Regina's mayor. Pan gets the shop because it's Rumple's shop. Do you think Pan, and I know you may not be able to comment because you do know spoilers, but do you think Pan will become a recurring character that will find some way of getting out? Because it sounds like he has a plan for how to get out. It sounds like he has a plan, but his plan is kind of weak sauce. Yeah, It's just, you know, leave one of these people behind and take me with you. I I wouldn't be surprised if we see Peter Pan again. Um, Robbie Kay is always a welcome addition to the screen, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if he at least tries to put his plan into action. But I don't think we're going to be seeing him a whole lot. Just because there's so much other stuff going on. Yeah. But, you know, we're back to that question of, has he learned anything? He's He hasn't... He has no regrets, I guess. He he doesn't regret the way he treated Rumpel. He clearly hasn't learned any kind of meaningful life lesson. So does he get to move on? I don't think so. Well, and and this thought of moving on doesn't mean moving on to a better place. That's true. So, so if he finishes his unfinished business, he might move on to a worse place. So is his unfinished business the way he treated Rumpel? Because then isn't that 
I don't know. I mean, I guess just realizing that he treated his son poorly isn't exactly making amends for it, which might indicate he could go to the better place. But if he just acknowledges that he was a horrible father, but yeah. isn't sorry about it because he's still a selfish sociopath, then I guess he does not get to go to the better place. Well, now I think there, this might be tapping on the possible solution here is that if you resolve your unfinished business, you do get to go on to the better place. But while you're here in the underworld, it's possible that you can be sent on to a worse place and still not have finished your business. So that's what Cora did with Blacktooth is he might still have had unresolved business, but she had the power to push him on to a worse place. So this seems like maybe that's the point here is that everyone here in Underworld has the opportunity to resolve their business and move on to a better place. Okay. So if Pan were to uh, resolve things properly, then he would get to move on to a better place and it wouldn't be, okay, yay, we helped you resolve your business. Now, welcome to hell. (laughs) Yeah, because that would be depressing. Exactly. And that's something that I made a note for later on when Regina says, we can help everyone and save everyone. I was thinking, wait, they might like this better than where they might move on to, depending on the the theology that's being used here and where do they move on to. But I think I could see it working this way. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know that Adam and Eddie are that dark where they would have Pan resolve his issues with Rumpel. Because I think we can all agree that's probably his unfinished business is with his son. Yeah. But then, you know, have him resolve all that and then still go, okay, you get to go to hell now, even though he was still a horrible person who did terrible things. Yeah. Yeah. But they may also just tiptoe around that a lot because it's like you said, when we started talking about the present day stuff, they're being very neutral and very careful about what kind of theology they are pushing. Right. And it's very easy for us to start overthinking things, especially (laughs) for me being a Christian, you know, I see things as very black and white in certain areas and uh, I can very easily say, oh, they're, you know, going with this certain theology or this conflicts with this belief or that kind of thing. They're not trying to make worldview theological statements here. They're pulling from ideas and telling a story. And I have to remind myself that many times. Yeah. yeah but one of the ideas I was very glad they pulled from and legitimized was the ale of Shanad from the land that's, of Dunbrock. That's a mouthful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I'm glad that that came back into play. We had speculated that it was going to come back into play yeah. back in the winter finale, and it didn't. So I'm glad that that particular magical MacGuffin came back in. Right. Even if it failed to work. Yeah. It could be something, though, that could be used a little bit more. Now, it didn't fail to work for Henry Sr. Regina used it successfully. So there's something different about Hook. And in our initial reactions, I had said that he looked kind of zombified. Yeah, Uh, he looks horrible. (laughs) Yeah, that he looked more beaten up. And yeah, I did look more closely this time. And yeah, he looks just beaten up. And... So where is he? Is he in the bottom of Mount Doom? 
suffering in some way. Yeah, I'm betting there are levels even within this Storybrooke realm. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if he's like in the lowest of the low of the underworld, almost like before you get to the very bad place. I don't know if anyone out there is familiar with uh, Dante's Inferno, the kind of lower you get in the circles of hell, the more like fire and brimstone it becomes until you get yeah. to the very bottom. And then it's just actually covered in ice. But I'm kind of wondering if he's like in maybe that lowest place before the actual fires of hell, because he looks terrible. Yeah. Rose has a good theory. And she said maybe he's imprisoned somewhere by Hades. That's a good idea because they're. There is a realm in Hades in Greek mythology called Tartarus where, you know, the very bad go and it is sort of a prison-like place. Um, and if you've seen Disney's Hercules, which they're obviously drawing from with their depiction of Hades, oh, yeah. um, the, the Titans are trapped there. And it is – when they show it on the screen, it does look like a prison. Mm -hmm. So then Regina used the ale – and summoned Henry Sr. And they had this this beautiful conversation. Yeah. The two talks between Regina and Henry Sr. I thought were some of the most powerful moments of the episode. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really, that's five years in the making. It's a nice way to bring the story of those two characters home and finally kind of resolve all that. Even though she ripped his heart out, literally. Right. Um, I have in my notes, Henry Sr. tells her, I love you no matter what. That's what fathers do. And next to that, I wrote, well, okay. But she did like legit murder you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, surely there's a line in the sand somewhere. It's funny because, you know, you kind of go, okay, whatever. But those moments, those two speeches they had together were very, very well done. Hmm. And if Regina stays in the underworld, she spreads hope. And it kind of reminds me of the movie Warm Bodies, which this is a crazy kind of movie, but it's imagine Romeo and Juliet with zombies instead. <laughs> but uh, one of the things that happens in the movie is there's a moment where hope or love spreads and starts healing people. Sorry if I'm giving a spoiler, which I am. That's similar here to what Henry Sr. is saying about Regina is that she spreads hope. And I wonder if that hope is going to start making a change. Like, are we going to see the underworld lose its red filter and start brightening up when hope starts coming to the people and when they start resolving their unfinished business, the the orange cones start disappearing <laughs> and Hades starts losing his control over this realm. Yeah. And it's, it's very, very season one, you know, when Emma decides to stay and we see the clock tick. And then in the subsequent episodes, you know, you see David wake up from his coma and, you know, you see people unfreezing. They're not having this, those same moments over and over again. You know, Mary Margaret gets to talk about something other than birds. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I I think we are going to see some some changes. Hopefully we lose the red filter. Yeah. I would like for that to be the first thing to go. <laughs> they take Henry Sr. to the pit, Mount Doom. And I'm guessing here that Cora did not know 
that Henry would get to go to a better place. Otherwise, what kind of threat is that against Regina? I agree. You know, she probably thought she had done what she set out to do. There was no way there was going to be resolved business. So she could, she literally just poofs out. Unless maybe she did know and she's been playing Hades this time and trying to dissolve his kingdom and grasp on everything. Maybe because she seems really shocked that Hades knows anything about Zelina. Yeah. So she doesn't seem to respect his omniscience, I guess. She thinks that she can maybe get out of situations um, without getting punishment. So maybe. I was a little confused by Henry's unfinished business because what allows him to move on is that Regina is free of Cora's influence. And Henry said, I let your mother get in the way of who you really are. And now he's not. But it seemed like in the flashbacks, even in the flashbacks for this episode, if he let Regina be who she really was at that point in the flashbacks, then Snow White would be dead. Right, right. I I don't agree that, you know, it was just Cora standing in the way of Regina being who she really was. There is that darkness to Regina. Yeah. You know, there is that that part of her that isn't just because of Cora. It's not just because of Rumpelstiltskin. That is a part of her identity. And I think it is wrong to dismiss that and say, oh, that's the fault of somebody else. To me, the unfinished business with Henry was that he is a villain of neglect, which is something that the fandom has talked about for a couple years, how his fault is that he never stopped Cora from the physical, emotional, and mental abuse that she was wreaking on poor Regina, you know, that we saw back in The Stable Boy. True, yeah. You know, and that's kind of what I wanted his unfinished business to be, to apologize for the fact that he is her father, he is supposed to defend her from these, well, basically this woman that he was married to. Um, And, you know, he completely fails to do that every single time. Even here, he didn't defend Regina against Cora, but he did help Regina to know that she could stand up to Cora. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, he finally got to see his daughter break free of the control that Cora had over Regina, which goes back to that line that I mentioned at the top of the hour about um, mother has no control over me, something we all know is kind of a a very telling lie. And then this time she really did defy her mother. Yeah. And when you look back at the whole feud between Regina and Snow White, it really was a lot of Cora's control because who prevented Regina from realizing Cora killed Daniel? It's Cora's fault. Right. Like what made her point all of her attention to snow. Yes, we we've seen how that happened, but maybe Cora did influence that. Right, cuz I don't think Cora believed that she was ever responsible for anything because she did it in the name of in her mind in the name of family. She did it so that she was giving Regina her best chance. And she even says something to that effect in this episode about she would do anything for Regina even if it's reprehensible. And that's when she begins to threaten Henry Sr. Yeah. I loved the conversation 
between the Henrys. Yeah, that was sweet. It's nice that Henry got to meet his other grandfather. Yeah. And kind of the passing on of the torch of I've taken care of her. Now you take care of her. Yeah. Yeah, that was sweet. And remember, there's no blood connection here either. But you don't need a blood connection to be family, to be to love someone. Uh, Love is a choice, not a matter of blood. And uh, and that's what we see throughout Once Upon a Time in the picture of adoption, in friendship, in loyalty, in a lot of different ways. Yeah. For Henry Sr., he just instantly accepts that this is Regina's son, which means it's his grandchild. So that that bond is there instantly. I was a little surprised they didn't in any way focus on you named him after me. Yeah. But then again, that might have been a little corny to us, or maybe they just cut something out. Maybe. But yeah, you know, it would have been nice like, oh, thank you, sweetie. <laughs> you ripped out my heart, but you named your child after me. <laughs> that makes it all better. <laughs> right. <laughs> so now we have uh, Operation Firebird. <laughs> yeah. I find that name funny. Rumpel came back when everyone was there in the town square. I wonder, does that mean he did not get on the boat and the boat left? Or is the boat still waiting? I think they probably missed the opportunity for the boat. And I get the feeling Rumpel is stuck. I mean, I don't think they're going to send Bobby Carlisle back to Maine and, you know, not have him be part of the season. So I get the feeling that for some reason Rumpel is there. Oh, I just completely off topic. I have a prediction for how this season will end. Oh, gosh. Okay. Hades will escape, come to Storybrooke, and start messing up Storybrooke. Interesting. Sort of like he brings hell to the real world. Yeah. And that will be the final battle. (laughs) (laughs) Finally. (laughs) We've only predicted it every single season. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I can't imagine that Hades is going to be very thrilled with all those souls possibly moving on. Hmm. One of my big questions right now is how does the show view Hades? Obviously, in Greek mythology, he's an actual god. He's immortal. So are they taking that stance with him here in Once Upon a Time? Or is he just like a power-hungry, super magical guy? That's a good question. Because Because if he's a god... Yeah. They haven't dealt with that. Everyone else has been a magical being or imbued with magic in some way mm-hmm. except him yeah, and except whoever created the original uh, cup and the stone it set upon. Right. Right. Yeah. You got to wonder if any of that will come into play because they've, they've set up this idea that there is some kind of higher force, you know, they don't want to call it God. They don't want to get into any kind of, stone solid theology but they've set up this idea that there is something out there in the universe and now they have hades who in mythology is a real god i don't know it makes me wonder if there are others out there because the greek pantheon is vast and hades had several siblings so are they somewhere out there is zeus sitting in the land of shiny and fluffy clouds Well, let's talk a bit more about Hades here. In his room, 
deep under the underworld. Yeah. So the under underworld. He had a couple interesting things there in his little circle. He had a globe, a pool table, books, uh, alcohols. He was drinking a wine. He has an eagle sculpture. He has a bass. He likes music, it seems. He was listening to Paganini. And uh, he has some kind of big chalice somewhere. And these five rivers. Jacqueline? Is that my cue? Yes. Please (laughs) enlighten us with your knowledge of Greek mythology. All right. So in Greek mythology, you have the realm of Hades, and there are five rivers that flow throughout Hades. And each of them has a very specific characteristic. So you have um, Acheron, which is the river of sorrow or sometimes woe. Cocytus, which is the river of lamentation. You're going to have to forgive some of my pronunciation. I'm a little out of practice with Greek. But Phlegathon, which is the river of fire. Leth, which is the river of oblivion, and then Styx, which is the river of of hate. And it's probably the most famous of all of them. You cross over the river Styx when you're, you know, descending into the underworld. It's interesting to me that when we saw those five rivers from the bird's eye view shot that they showed, that they were all different colors. Mm-hmm. Because I think that way you can tell which river is which. Like, I'm pretty sure Leth is the white one you see because it's the color of oblivion and forgetfulness sort of being washed clean into you know a white purity stance Hmm. so the red one is probably the river sticks the blue one maybe the river of sorrow possibly well there's the river of sorrow or woe yeah and the river of lamentation those are kind of similar they are i think sorrow is more Obviously, like sadness and lamentation is maybe regret, your own regrets. Mm-hmm. Or it could be vice versa. Yeah. Yeah, the rivers are colored yellow, blue, white, or gray, uh, green, and red. Mm-hmm. There was an interesting point brought up that, you know, in, in other literature past Greek mythology, which these pieces of literature pull so much from Greek mythology, like Dante's. Um, Inferno. And in his second book, Purgatory, sinners who have, quote unquote, done their time are washed in the river Lath by this um, this being named Matilda. And it washes away the memories of their sins. And then they get to enter paradise without the burdens of their past. So they only have these kind of very good, happy memories. Hmm. And Fee came up with a very, very interesting theory, something that I'm kind of accepting until we are shown otherwise. Um, So, and this goes back to what we were talking about, the dark curse, that the dark curse was created by little bits of every single one of these rivers. So, you know, the river Styx, you have the, the river of hatred, someone who is so full of hate and anger, they are the ones who can cast the curse. The river of pain, which is also the river um, of sorrow that Karen um, ferries people across. And it gives the curse the ability to transport between realms. The river Lath, which of course is forgetfulness, amnesia, being a huge factor of the dark curse. And every single time we've seen it. Um, The river of fire, you have to toss the heart into fire or into like a boiling cauldron. We've seen that pretty consistently. Um, The one that doesn't fit necessarily is the River of Lamentations, except it obviously causes a lot of 
crying and um, deep felt emotions when this is coming or when it's broken. Yeah. The loss of your happy endings. Yeah. I think that's the connection there. So I'm really hoping they kind of go this route that Hades created the dark curse and he's using these things at his disposal, like the five rivers. I really don't want to see them cast a curse in order to get out of Hades. No, 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 no. I I refuse. I refuse to believe that we are going to go that route because if we have to take another dark curse and another set of amnesia, I I may flip a table. Forget about the whole show. (laughs) (laughs) Possibly, possibly. We're getting a sixth season, but if we do another dark curse and that's how season six starts, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I could take that. I do wonder if maybe this is kind of like a power source sort of thing, kind of like in Lost, uh, near the end of Lost, there's this power center of the island and this water all flows into it and there's a cork and this kind of thing. I wonder if Emma might have to do something like cry a river (laughs) and (laughs) that changes all the rivers or a, a drop of true love potion opens up new portals or something crazy like that can she destroy the underworld i mean is that a thing that we think should happen i don't know uh because is the underworld necessarily a bad place hades being the ruler makes it a bad place Right, I agree. And Fee had said something like what they really need to do is depose Hades and put someone on the throne who's going to let souls move on once they've done their business. Someone that can help them finish their unresolved business Mm -hmm. instead of keeping them there as prisoners and subjects. Speaking of prisoners and subjects, who's the chick that's giving Hades a pedicure? Oh, I don't know. I kind of thought maybe it was Persephone, who's uh, Hades' wife in mythology. It's someone he kidnaps and holds hostage. Great marriage. Um, it's happened before. <laughs> You're in once upon a time. Yeah, it would totally be keeping in line with so many things. Um, I don't know. She was just so random. Like the fact that your first introduction to Hades is this guy in a suit who's getting a pedicure from a woman. I just was like, okay. That's new. Yeah. He plays that part really well, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I really like the actor. He was very cold, but he had this charm about him that kind of just drew you in instantly. Yeah. However, if we could never see the blue hair again, I would be okay with that. (laughs) A little too cheap. Oh, (laughs) that side view when they gave his profile. Mm -mm, Nope. (laughs) There were a couple interesting things that happened here in that last scene. It seemed like Hades promised to save us. That's what Cora had said. And I wonder which us was she referring to, like Cora and Regina, or us as in everyone inside the underworld? And what does save mean? Right. I was wondering the same thing. And... I mean, my thought was that you would save us, meaning the souls who really want to move on. Like, is Cora happy? That's a weird question, I know. but <laughs> Not anymore. In fact, Certainly when he turned her into the Miller's daughter, and there was that first close-up shot of her as the Miller's daughter again, I actually felt deep sympathy for her. Yeah. Like, oh, ouch. Oh, sorry. Right. 
I mean, that is absolutely her happy ending going away, yeah. being the Miller's daughter again. It's something that she fought so hard and with so many bad life choices to get out of. So is that kind of her send off to forgotten character island in the underworld <laughs> or might she return again? And, I, and you might not be able to say. I would be disappointed if Cora didn't come back. You know, there, yeah. there's still there's a bit of a mystery going on with, you know, why did Hades bring up Zelina? Yeah, he seems to know about Zelina. So what's that about? And I I would hate for them to have some sort of Zelina story, because I do think eventually she has to come back into this and not have Cora, because this is a perfect opportunity for Zelina and Cora to finally meet. That would be really interesting to see. Uh, Zelina is in Oz right now, but yeah, she was sucked uh, up by a tornado. Her name is still credited. Yes. Yeah. Bex Mater hasn't gone anywhere. Yeah. At least in the in the opening credits. So. But for her to end up in the underworld means that someone has to kill her in Oz. Or maybe she discovers some way to get to the underworld. <laughs> I'm about to say, there are so many portals and loopholes <laughs> with realm traveling at this point. I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if she finds a door that yeah. takes her to the underworld. Maybe it will be through the clock tower. Right. <laughs> which is now the clock hole in the road. <laughs> oh, that poor clock tower. It's been through so much. Like, how many times have they had to repair that thing? Yeah. It's extremely symbolic. And it was neat to see it tick again. Yeah. And now we know that means that someone left the underworld, presumably to a better place. And that really bothers Hades. Yeah, he doesn't like people leaving his realm. Yeah. So we've got many episodes left of the second half of this season and a lot of places that this could go. And uh, I'm interested to see what they will do with the storytelling technique here with flashbacks and such, because I felt like this episode's flashbacks was a little bit forced, but I think legitimized by showing us how Henry got to Wonderland. What will they do in the next episodes and what's happening in the meantime back in Storybrooke? Uh, one of the things that I've theorized is what if uh, Rumple and Belle have a child uh, they clearly slept together recently, and uh, we don't know what all happened. But uh, it could be really interesting if, while they're in the underworld, time passes more quickly, and they come back to Storybrooke and discover that Belle has a child. She's already given birth to the child, something like that. Yeah, a lot of crazy things that could happen, and there's a lot of stuff coming. And we'll have some spoilers after we wrap up our main discussion here in a little bit. So you'll get a little sneak peek at what's coming with Once Upon a Time. But we would love your feedback. So please send us your feedback right after you see the episodes on Sunday nights or whenever you get a chance to see them. Send us your feedback before Wednesday afternoons. Then we can try and incorporate that into our full discussion episodes. And our contact information is on the website at oncepodcast.com. But I'll give it to you here for your convenience. Email us, feedback at oncepodcast.com, or call and leave a voicemail at 903-231-2221, or you can send a voice message through the website at oncepodcast.com. We are planning to have a season finale party in the greater Cincinnati area, so we are working on nailing down the details for that, but we would love to see you there for a season five season finale party. We had a lot of fun last time and I've got some ideas of how to make it even more fun this year. And we'd love to see you there if you can make it. 
Details will come out later on for that. But please connect with us on Twitter as we tweet out interesting things that we see, links to interesting forum posts, and let you know about when the podcast will be going live and remind you to send us feedback as well. We're on Twitter at OncePodcast, and you can follow each of us individually. I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at the Ramen Noodle. I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. This podcast would not be possible without our great team of volunteers and your wonderful support. And for this episode, special thanks goes to these volunteers. Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Corbin for sorting our feedback, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our spoilers. You'll hear from them in just a moment. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul for moderating the forums, Keb for managing our timeline, and thanks to Jeremy, Aaron, Hunter, and Jacqueline, and you can follow all of them by going to the website oncepodcast.com and clicking on their Twitter buttons. They do a great job co-hosting the podcast with me. And please share this episode with your friends by going to oncepodcast.com slash 231 and clicking on the social sharing buttons. And until next time, hurry, you have flour to deliver. And thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you would like to be a hero too, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are back and it's spoiler time for Once Podcast. So let's just jump right on in. Episode 513, Labor of Love. In the underworld, an escapee from Hades prison informs the heroes that Hook is being held captive. But before the heroes can rescue Hook, they must face a terrifying beast that guards the prison. Mary Margaret searches for an old childhood friend who knows how to defeat the monster. However, once reunited, she discovers that her friend is no longer the hero he once was. Meanwhile, in an enchanted forest flashback, a young Snow White struggles to preserve peace in her kingdom and must learn how to be a true hero if she wants to one day become queen. And this episode is written by Andrew Chambliss and Dana Horgan and directed by Billy Gerhardt. So we've got a lot of guest stars. We do. Some surprising ones. Some people I didn't think we would see back this soon. Yeah. So we've got Emma Clawfield as the Blind Witch. And I, I was upset with that. Sorry. I need to just pause and put this in there. She did not say butter or gravy. She didn't. Like... <laughs> that was the only reason to have her there was to say butter or gravy and, and she, she was, changed it. it. And she was even working in the diner. Right. Okay. It would have been a perfect opportunity. Okay, sorry, rant over. Victoria Smurfit as Cruella Deville, Casey Roll as Megara, Jonathan Whitesell as Hercules, Bailey Madison as young Snow White, Carrie Vander Grinded as the peasant, Tech Grant as Dead Eye the Bandit. Janet Walmousley as Woman Peasant and Greg German as Hades. Yeah, you gotta love when you've got a character named Dead Eye the Bandit. I know. <laughs> so we did get a promo, of course. Mm -hmm. We got that right after 513. Right after. 
so we do um, see Hercules. Mm-hmm. And we do see that Snow and Hercules obviously have some sort of past. She mentions that he's an old friend that may be able to help the Scooby gang find Hook. Although I don't know why he's in this limbo purgatory. Yeah. I mean, I do know in the actual Disney movie he ends up there, but he gets back out. Right. And as the son of a god he is eligible to go to Olympus. Yeah. So I don't know. We're going to have to watch and find out. We do see that the reason why they need Hercules is to help defeat the three-headed dog, who, of course, guards the underworld in classic Greek mythology. And the question, of course, is who is the dog guarding, but it's probably Hook. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Because they say some guardian, unless it's uh, Deadeye the Bandit, but I don't think that's going to be it. And we do actually see the three-headed dog in the promo, Severus. Looks really cool. It does look pretty cool. I'm hoping the CGI plays out well in this episode. Yeah. And then, of course, Snow White, we find out, needs to find the courage to defeat the Guardian of the Underworld. She's They're like, we need you now type things. Because I guess she's scared. Yeah, I'm not sure what that's about. <laughs> yeah. And we've got lots of behind-the-scene photos. We got a good amount this time. Yeah, we got some pretty good ones. Yeah, so we've got Hook, and he's looking pretty beat up, and he's in a cave that's got pretty fire and gargoyles all over the place. Yeah, I noticed the gargoyles. He It looks like some sort of mausoleum-type deal. Yeah, lots of gargoyles, and they're pretty, though. I love gargoyles. We have a full photo of the character Deadeye the Bandit, and he does look pretty creepy with an eye patch and really rough-looking clothing. Yeah, it looks like he's wearing some kind of, like, alligator leather, animal leather vest, and his clothes are all torn up and all that kind of stuff. Got Emma, Hercules, Snow White, and Regina. And they're all in the mines under the town. And we do come to find out that's where Hook is. Right. So he's obviously being held captive somewhere. Um, And since the underworld looks like Storybrooke, we're going to be seeing a lot of set pieces that we've seen before. Yes. Um, we do get, obviously, our first look at Hercules this week. I What do you, what do you think? I think he, he looks like the boy next door. I That's thought he would be a I lot thought. bulkier. Right, because when you think of Hercules, at least from the Disney film, he's supposed to be, you know, the strongest, most capable man alive. He's part of a, you know, he's part God. Right. And even as, okay, I'm only referring to the movie, the Disney movie, because I don't see anything else that he's ever been in that they've used a Hercules character. So that's where my references come from. But even as a teenager, he still looked bulky. He wasn't big, but he still looked bulky and strong. And he just looks like the boy next door. The other comparison you can draw is to Kevin Sorbo, who played Hercules in the Hercules television show from the late 90s and then also in Xena, Warrior Princess. He was on that as well. I didn't but watch either of those, so. <laughs> that, that is a shame. Um, <laughs> but in both of those, you know, Kevin Sorbo was pretty buff. He he definitely looked like he was this, you know, very strong dude. But I agree, he does very much look like the boy next door. Yeah. He reminds me of um, the Ryan Gosling, Young Hercules. Oh, yeah, okay. I did watch that one. <laughs> so yeah 
Okay, so then we also see Hades, and he's all dapper with his black suit and purple tie, but no flaming blue hair. And it does look like Emma and the others are going to run into him. Yes. Which is nice. I, I always worry that they're going to keep the heroes and the big villain apart for too long and draw it all out. So I'm glad they're meeting really um, close in the season. Yeah, that's really cool. Because Haiti actually, in one of the photos we see, he holds up a hook, which I'm guessing is Hook's hook. And it's all bloody looking. Yeah, it looks pretty bad. Yeah. Which is a nice transition into our next topic, which is that we have a sneak peek. Yes. Normally we don't get them this early, but we got it really early this week. I was very excited for that. And we're in the underworld, under the town, and we see Hook, who is being held captive, and he looks all beat up and gross, like we saw in last week's episode when Emma summoned him with that spell. Mm -hmm. And there is also another person there, a girl, who's wearing... I, I think it was like a really long flowing dress. Yeah, she was like a peasanty though. I think she's one of the peasants. Really? I thought it was Meg. Oh, was it? It could I, have been. I think it's Meg. But she tells Hook that it's it's a trick, that he shouldn't move or try and escape because there is something there that you don't want to face that's keeping both of them in this locked up dungeon. Yeah. Um, but Hook sends the girl off. He, you know, he says that he'll tackle whatever beast is coming for them or whatever, but tells the girl to go find Emma Swan. What do you think? It's the three-headed dog. Yeah, I think it's the three-headed dog. Yeah. And what did you think, if this is Meg, and I'm pretty sure it is, what did you think of her? Well, I don't know, because you don't really get to see, you know, a lot about her in this one little scene. Yeah. If it is her, I don't like what she's wearing. Because um, usually I right. think of Meg. Well, no, because usually Meg is like the sexy girl. She tries to get Hercules to fall in love with her and all this other stuff. And here she's not wearing a very nice outfit. Yeah. And she's also not very spunky. Yeah. Like I think of a sassy girl when I think of Meg. Right. You know, the famous line from the Disney Hercules movie is, I'm a damsel. I'm in distress. Have a nice day. Because yeah. she doesn't need Hercules to save her. And I'm kind of hoping she's got a little bit more fire to her in the episode than what we saw in the sneak peek. Yeah. I'm hoping unless she's just been beaten down because she's been in this cave for so long. Right. That's what I'm hoping. So let's move on to some casting. We've got a lot of casting news. We do. They are wrapping up the season and they're getting all their final people in. So we do have a casting for episode 521. Um, the name on the casting is Prince Marcus. Usually the names are subject to change. It's just a name they pick to throw everybody off. But Prince Marcus is late 30s to late 40s and acts like he was born to be king. He is wise, handsome, and authoritative, a ruler who will deal harsh justice when it's necessary, but he also knows the power of kindness and forgiveness. So I think this is Zeus. Okay. Because so far, it doesn't seem like we've had a Hades-centric episode, and I feel like 521 might be the Hades-centric episode. And since this is Once Upon a Time, and they do love their family conflict, the rivalry between Zeus and Hades is probably going to be brought up, because it's a big focus of the Disney film. Yes, and not only that, it's a big part of Greek mythology, isn't it? Um... Off and on, I mean, the Disney film makes more of a big deal out of it than actual mythology. It wasn't like they hated and loathed each other, you know. Oh, 
Okay. H- Hades <laughs> just had to take the underworld because somebody had to take it. Right. It's someone's got to do the job, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then we also have two casting calls that went out for episodes 521 and 522. And they will also be seen in the next season. So we've got Jacob, who is late 30s to early 40s, an imposing physical man, brutish and morally corrupt. Jacob desires power above all else. The power to control his own destiny, however, he sees fit. With no discernible moral compass, Jacob will use any means at his disposal to get it, even if it means destroying his own family in the process. And they're also casting Nathaniel, who's in his late 30s to early 40s, who is the brother of Jacob. He's slight and weak, always in the shadow of his more powerful, more sinister older brother. Nathaniel only wishes to be free of his siblings' wretchedness, but fate continues to thwart him, drawing them together in increasingly dangerous ways and threatening all he holds dear. I don't know who these could be. I have... A couple guesses. Okay. The one I am really going with right now is that this is the Brothers Grimm. Oh, okay. And the historical Brothers Grimm, there was actually a Jacob Grimm. Okay. So I think it might be the Brothers Grimm. The other one people are tossing around are Scar and Mufasa from The Lion King. They've just sort of switched the personalities of the two lions. They've made... Mufasa, sort of a evil man as opposed to Scar, which would be keeping with what Once Upon a Time likes to do. Yeah. And the other guess actually comes from Matt over at the forums. He suggested the Frollo brothers from The Hunchback of Notre Dame. In the original novel, there were actually two of them. Oh, okay. And it's apparently like the 20th anniversary of that film anyway, so it might be something that ties into Once Upon a Time. And bringing back the movies on DVD and Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Th- those are all interesting. I have no clue. I, have, <laughs> I was typing this and I'm like, I have no clue who these could be. It's really interesting that they're already casting for season six. That they, you know, the whoever these two characters end up being, they're probably going to be the big story in season six if they're going to stick around that long. Okay. So we haven't seen the last of Amy Manson. Uh, Merida is set to return in the season finale. I'm kind of excited. And she's actually been on set this past week. She's back with her, you know, blue dress and crazy hair. Filming something in Storybrooke. (laughs) Well, I always like seeing her. I love the Merida character. Yeah, I'm glad that she's getting a proper send-off and goodbye to her story since uh, we didn't see her in the winter finale. Right. And she's not just getting sent to Forgotten Character Island. Exactly. So the other casting we have, and I apologize in advance for butchering this name, is Raya Kilstedt. She will be guest starring in episode 520 as Cleo, who we will see in flashbacks as a bail bonds person and no-nonsense woman who has pulled herself out of a rough early life and trusts her instincts above all else. She has a tough exterior that hides a strong nurturing side that isn't often given a chance to come out. She is a mentor to Emma. She sounds like Emma. She does, and we've seen some set photos of these two during uh, filming. It looks like Cleo has her own red jacket. So I'm guessing this is probably where Emma comes up with her idea to wear a red jacket is because of this um, this Cleo character. Okay. So 
keeping with the theme of Greek mythology, I did do a little bit of research into any kind of fox creatures because the rumor has it that her full name is Cleo Fox. There was a fox, uh, the Temesian fox, who was this creature who was destined never to be caught. And it was this nightmare. Um, nobody could catch this fox. But there was another magical creature who was destined to catch everything it sought, which was a dog. So this is kind of the original fox and the hound story. Okay. And these two, the fox and the hound, would chase each other around and around and around. And they could never catch one another because it's a paradox. And Zeus got really, really sick of this and decided to turn them into constellations. And now we know them as Canis Major and Canis Minor, the fox and the hound. So I'm kind of wondering if that'll tie in that Emma is, you know, who's always out searching for people, runs into this woman who doesn't like to be tracked down and and caught, essentially, and they form a really close bond. Okay, that's kind of cool. Yeah. And then we also have one last casting, um, and I'm going to apologize for this. Costas Mandalore? Sounds good to me. Mm. <laughs> He's been cast as Captain Silver, who we will see soon. All we know is that he is a has a history with Captain Hook, and he may be Captain Long John Silver from the 1883 novel Treasure Island. Yes, and he'll be appearing in episode 515, The Brothers Jones. My guess is that he has a bad history with Hook and Hook's brother, Liam. Does anyone have a good history with them? Probably not. (laughs) Yay for casting. We've got lots of fun and exciting things coming up. And we were lucky enough to get two new episode titles since we last talked. Yes, episode 520 is Firebird, and it's written by Jane Espenson. And 521, Last Rites, written by Jerome Schwartz. Which means we only have, I guess, two episode titles left because, reminder, there are 23 episodes this season. So the last two will probably be written by Adam and Eddie and will be a two-part finale like we've been doing the past couple years. Yay. (laughs) It seems so weird that it's like we're just starting the second half of the season and we already have like all the information for the entire rest of the season. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to... Yeah, and we've definitely got some big spoilers coming up here now. Yeah, so go ahead, Jacqueline. I know you have all this. Yeah, so just a heads up, if you really don't want to know some major spoilers for the season finale, you know where to follow us on Twitter. (laughs) Go (laughs) Go ahead and turn us off because I'm about to drop some big ones. The biggest one has got to be about Robin Hood, played by Sean McGuire. So a couple weeks ago, Sean McGuire's agent spoke out saying that Sean would be done filming Once Upon a Time in March and that he would be open to other works. Now, actors take jobs in between seasons all the time, so I honestly didn't think much of it. But then some of the fandom started panicking and asking if Robin was going to die. And TV Line, at the 100th episode party asked Sean McGuire straight out if he was leaving and he gave this really cagey answer he said I can't say there are obstacles everywhere a lot of bad people from the past are coming back and they are not too happy with our heroes if once upon a time was the Star Wars franchise this would be Empire Strikes Back it's going to be dark it's going to be scary and there will be surprises 
it's not the most reassuring answer, but again, I kind of dismissed it as he just didn't want to give anything away. Right. And then uh, two nights ago, I guess, they started filming a big scene in the cemetery. And this was a funeral. Everyone was in black. Regina specifically was wearing what is often described as widow weeds, the big hat with the brim with the veil. She looked, you know, pretty devastated. Regal-esque. Yeah. From people who were on set, it sounded like it was a super, super sad scene. Everyone was there but Robin, and Little John was also there. And if Little John's there, it means that whoever is dead probably has a connection to Little John and to that mythology. At the exact same time that this happened, TV Line put out one of their famous blind items. They do this every so often, where they spoiled that a series currently airing on one of the big five networks, so ABC, CBS, Fox, NBC, and the CW, is killing off a star in its season finale. The death will occur toward the end of the episode, which will leave just enough time for an emotional season-ending cemetery scene in which one character bids an emotional farewell to another. And then following this, it was reported that Sean is no longer on set or even in Vancouver. He was seen leaving to the airport. Well, that's sad. So for all the outlaw queen shippers out there, people who really like Robin Hood, it's not confirmed. I don't imagine it will be confirmed until the episode airs and they come out and say, yeah, you know, Sean's leaving the show, but it doesn't look good. Yeah, that's just sad. Yeah, I think they're I think they're going to kill Robin Hood. What's going to happen to his son? You know, that's exactly what I asked was, okay, but what's going to happen to Roland and baby Pistachio? <laughs> you know. Does I, she have a name yet? I can't even Not remember. yet. Not yet. I'm hoping they name her soon. <laughs> but I don't know if Zelina is going to be raising the baby. My big concern is if this turns Regina evil again, I'm kind of done with that story. And I really don't want to see her go back into full-on evil queen mode. Or do you think Regina will take the kids? Maybe. I imagine that she'll be okay raising Roland. Right, but what about the little girl? She wouldn't give her to Zelina. I sure as heck wouldn't. (laughs) So that's just kind of a heads up, hopefully to prepare some people. We might get confirmation between now and the finale, you never know. So sad. Okay. Let's move on to our other big news. And in case you missed it, because we've already talked about it here, it's probably going to be talked about tonight on the actual show. But Once has been renewed for a sixth season. Yeah. Adam Horowitz announced it via Twitter last week. Yes. ABC went ahead and did a bunch of early renewals. In case you also haven't heard, Paul Lee, who was the head of ABC, has stepped down and a new head has taken his place. So they went ahead and they did a bunch of early renewals. Once Upon a Time was one of them. The question remains whether or not it will be a full 22-episode order or whether it's going to be shorter. And that probably won't be announced until May at the upfronts. So that's all fun. I think we got a lot of stuff that we just talked about. Yeah, I think so too. So that's all I have for you this week. Do you have anything else? That is all I have. Okay, excellent. I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Traveling Pixie. And I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. Until next time, oncers.